Would you express your appreciation for the rescue? We are so grateful that <clears throat> Jeff and Tammy have been with us this morning and uh, have the opportunity to uh, talk to you about being in the host program. Uh, I can attest to the fact I just finished 15 years of mentoring. I'm starting my 16th. The only year I didn't do it was that first year, and so I'm going to start my 16th in August. So I'm glad you're here today because I believe in it, and we not only have the opportunity to help kids learn how to read better, but we have some influence in their lives as we talk to them and help them work their way through some difficult things. So we're glad they're here. Make sure you stop by, talk to them today, if you can be a host mentor, okay? Uh, we are in a series called Stand, and it's from the book of Daniel from the Old Testament. The first week and the second week, Casey was up, and he preached uh, for us about having that uh, stance uh, that is in moderation. And in the second week, a dependent stand on God. Last week, Last Sunday, I brought a message from Daniel 3 about taking a costly stand. And sometimes it's going to cost you something to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And we got to be willing to do that. And today, we enter the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. And uh, we are going to talk to you today about taking a public stand. Now, I want to also give you a, a subtitle to this. Because I believe not only was... Uh, there a public stand being taken by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, once God got a hold of him. But I also believe that this tagline or this subtitle today is also about this, taking a humble stand before the Lord. Humility is one of those things that we don't find very often in our culture today. And so we want to talk about that today and how God works on us to get us to a place where we're going to have some humility in what we do and how we do that. But before we get into the message today, let me just pray for you and for me as we enter into this time. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to um, explore your word today. And I pray, God, as we explore Daniel 4, that, Father, those things that you are talking about, those things that you have brought to mind, those things that you are instructing to the people there, that we will be able to apply them to our lives as well. So guide us through this message today, Father. Help us to hear what we need to hear, see what we need to see, and then apply it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. Dave Faust, who's on staff at East 91st Street Christian Church, several years ago wrote an article, and he entitled it, Author Unknown. And I want to just take a few bites from that and give them to you this morning. Dave wrote, who first spoke about keeping up with the Joneses or observed an apple a day keeps a doctor away? No one knows. Nor do we know the origin of expressions like time is of the essence, it's all in a day's work, or a woman's work is never done. No one knows who authored many popular nursery rhymes, including Little Jack Horner, Jack and Jill, and Jack be nimble, although I'm guessing it was someone named Jack. And what about the songs from the unknown composers? Yankee Doodle, author unknown. The grand old spiritual swing low sweet chariot, only the Lord knows who sang that first. Francis Scott Key wrote the words to America's national anthem, and Samuel F. Smith wrote, My country tis of thee, but the tunes of both songs are attributed to unknown composers. 
We don't know who wrote the lyrics to great hymns like Come Thou Almighty King or How Firm a Foundation or Just a Closer Walk with Thee. The hymnal identifies the first Noel simply as Old English Carol. O Come, All Ye Faithful was translated into English by Frederick Oakley, but the original Latin version, Adeste Fidelis, was penned by an unknown author long before. The classic hymn, Be Thou My Vision, is set to an old Irish tune, and its authorship is uncertain. Some trace the lyrics back to an Irish poet named Dolan Forgale or to the man known as St. Patrick. Either way, the author never collected any royalties, and he must have believed the line in the song that says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. In these days when grandstanding and self-promotion are so common, it's important to remember that life's highest goal is not man's empty praise. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved, but he humbly left his own name out of the gospel attributed to him. And King David accomplished great things, but when his leaders collected an impressive offering to build the temple, he humbly asked the Lord, who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, O God, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Hmm. It's been said that great things happen when no one cares who gets the credit. I don't know who originally said that, but he or she was right. Good words from Dave Faust. Good words to remember in a culture and a society where, where humility is lacking and pride and arrogance seem to move to the top, we need to remember what God teaches about being humble. We have a couple of quotes. C.S. Lewis, great thinker, said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And, and Rick Warren a pastor out of Saddleback in San Diego said, humility is not denying your strengths. Humility is being honest about your weaknesses. Hmm. I prefer, among all quotes, the one that comes from 1 Peter 5, 5, young men in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I agree with that. And somewhere along the line in life, we're all going to be humbled. We're all going to be, be put in a place where we got to see that I'm not the most important person or I'm not the best at what they do and that kind of thing. And it's going to happen more often than not. And it's going to happen many times, not just one. I remember one of mine. It was in the year 2000 and the NCAA tournament was downtown. And before the tournament started, they had this big area in the convention center called the NCAA Tournament Village. And you could go there and you could wander around and you could, you know, look at all the new basketball goals out and look at all the new basketballs on the market. And you could go around and look at uniforms and shoes and do all kinds of things. And there were events where you could go and, and participate in things. And I took Stephen with me, my son, he was about fifth or sixth grade, and we went down there that day, and I was walking through, and people were wanting you to try their stuff, and, and one of the places uh, was a basketball goal, and they were trying to sell you these goals for about $1,500 to put it in your driveway. 
I thought, no way would I put that in my driveway. I'd have to put that in my home if I spent $1,500 on a basketball goal. And so I was wandering around doing that, and, and the one guy said, here, you, you see how the backboard works, and, and you've probably shot a hoop or two. Yeah. So he gave me the ball, and I banked it off the glass and in, and he gave me a little foam basketball with the logo of the tournament on it, and it still sits in my office. If you want to see it sometime, stop by. And then we wandered through the rest of the area, and Stephen, the people kept saying, hey, you want to try? Stephen said, no. Hey, you want to do this? No. I said, son, we came so you could do something. He said, I know, Dad, I know. I'm going to pick one. And so finally he said, I want to do that. And down at the far end of the convention center, this exhibit hall, they had set up a huge, a really nice gorilla goal, which if you don't know what that is, look it up, Google it. I don't have time to tell you. But the, the big gorilla goal was up, and there was this long line winding around until you got to the front of the line, and they would give you a basketball, and you would have to then make a shot from the top of the key. Now, that's 19 feet, 9 inches. That's a three-pointer in high school and college. Pro level, 23-9 in those days, 24-9 now today. And so you could take a dribble. If you could make it from the top of the key, then, then you would get a T-shirt. And I thought, well, I, you know, I could make that shot and get a T-shirt, but I got a lot of T-shirts, you know. But Stephen said, I want to do that. And I said, son, are you, are you sure? Now, remember, he's in fifth or sixth grade. Not a very big guy. And I said, you know, that's a long, that's a, that's a long ways. That's a, that's a long shot to make. He said, I know, Dad. I, I, I want to try it. I said, okay. Let's get in line. So we got in line, and we waited, and we waited, and the kids were taking shots. Some of them were high school players. They were clanking it off the rim and hitting it off the backboard, and one kid even just threw it, you know, and it went clear over the backboard, and they had to chase it down into another part of the convention center. And, you know, Stephen would just wait patiently, you know, going through the line. And as we went through the line, a lady on this side, as she was coming this way, we were going this way, she looked at Stephen and said, he is so cute. And I looked at her and said, takes after his dad. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> and so we finally got to the front, and this, this young man walks up to Stephen and, and says, okay, son. He holds a basketball out, and little guy, and he says, I'll tell you what. If you want to move real close, like inside the free throw line, you know, and you make that shot, he said, we'll, we'll give you something, but you can't get the T-shirt. And Stephen said, no, I'm going to shoot it from back here. And he said, are you sure you want to do that? And Stephen said, I'm going to shoot it from back here. And I looked at Stephen, and I said, are you he said, I'm shooting it from back here, you know. So <laughs> okay. And the guy said, now, you can back up and take a couple dribbles if you want, and Launch it up there, and remember, I mean, people were claiming, we hadn't seen one person make a shot yet, okay? Stephen backs up, he's dribbling the ball, he takes two dribbles, and he launches a shot. Now, I had always told him, when you shoot, you keep the elbow in, fingertips over the front of the rim, not the back, and follow through. You always do that, and he did. I mean, he did it exactly what I'd worked with him in the driveway all those times, and he shot it. And I thought, boy, you know, he's, he's little. I don't know if he'll get there. And, man, as the ball went through the air, you, you ever felt like it was in slow motion, you know? And I'm standing there, I'm going. And about halfway, I'm going. And I knew as it got close, it had a chance. 
And that ball went through the hoop, did not touch the rim, flipped the net up around the rim, and the whole place erupted. I mean, people in line were high-fiving Stephen, and the guy that handed him the ball was like cheering, and they gave him a T-shirt that was sponsored by Mountain Dew. It was an extra large, so I took that. And um, so, you know, it was just, I mean, he, and here's what Stephen did. He's high-fiving people, and he's just walking like, I can do that. You know. Then the guy came to me and said, do you want to try? I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm not doing that, you know. Humbled by a little guy who I thought couldn't do it. And I thought I could. And he did. And God uses circumstances like that. Maybe not exactly like that for you. But circumstances like that throughout our lives to kind of put us in our place. To remind us that maybe we're not the best at what we thought we were the best at. Or, or to remind us that he's in charge and not us. In James' fourth chapter, you find this verse. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility. When you think of humility in Scripture, we often think of the prodigal son, the guy who went to his dad and said, hey, dad, I want my inheritance. I want it now. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want to stay on the farm. I'm going to go do it. And he did. He took the money and he blew it. And he got himself in trouble and finally found himself eating with the pigs in a foreign land. Humbled by his circumstances. And when Luke, the 15th chapter, records that, in verse 17 it says, and when he came to his senses. He headed back to the father. And you know that story. The dad on the farm represents God. The prodigal represents us. And we're humble enough to say, God, we need your help. And we go back to him. He's always glad to receive us. Now, we always think about that story. I do when I hear about humility. But today in Daniel 4, you're going to hear it from a different perspective. You're going to hear it from the perspective of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was overseeing and ruling in Babylon and had, had all of this area under his command. Remember in chapter 3 last week, he'd even made an idol to himself and expected everybody to worship it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we can't do that. And so here in this chapter, in chapter 4, you find the story. Let me set it up for you. Let me tell you what happens in the early part of the chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar goes to sleep one night. And he has a dream. And it scares him. He doesn't know the meaning of the dream. He doesn't understand why he had it. But he doesn't know what it means either. And that's even more scary. And so he, he calls in all of his wise people from all of his councils and he asks all of them, tell me what it means, and they couldn't. And so he calls in Daniel. And Daniel was this young Jewish man. Now, we say young by this time. We uh, assume by the uh, calendar and by what we've studied out in, in background and history that now Daniel's probably in his mid-30s, maybe later. 
He says, Daniel, tell me what this means. And so Daniel begins to look at and hear the dream. And the dream went like this. The king said, I was asleep and I saw this huge tree and all the birds were sitting on the limbs and it almost touched the sky and and animals were in the shade and there was a lot of fruit and a lot of vegetation and all of them were eating and it just, man, it was great. But then a messenger from heaven came and chopped the tree down. And all the birds left and all the animals were fleeing and, and on, there was no more food and vegetation and the, the limbs were cut off and, and the trunk was left and yet it had iron over the trunk but the trunk was left and the roots were still in the ground. What does that mean? Daniel said, O king, you're not going to like what I'm going to say. He said, the tree represents you. You're doing really well and you're ruling in a great way but you think you're it. You think you're the gift to all mankind. And so, God's going to send a messenger, and what he's telling you is this, you're going to lose your kingdom because you're not humble before him. You think you're better than God. And so he's going to take that kingdom away, and he's going to disperse everything, and you're going to go live among the animals, and you're going to eat grass like cattle do, and you're going to have the dew set upon you, and you're going to do that for seven years. Before, before you acknowledge God. And when you do that, when you acknowledge God, that iron over the stump, that'll be removed and you once again will be restored to your position as king. But only when you acknowledge God. Only when you humble yourself before him will that happen. In fact, in the text, in Daniel 4, I love verse 27 because here's what Daniel says. He says, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Renounce your sin. Be humble before the Lord. Acknowledge who he is and he will restore you then but not until then. So the story goes on and it takes 12 months for this king. He's thinking about this dream off and on for a whole year. He does this. And finally one day he's saying, you know, he's on the rooftop. He's looking out the kingdom. He said, man, I've established all this. I've done all this. This is all to my glory. And all of a sudden the voice comes from heaven. Now I'm not translating the Hebrew correctly but I think the voice said that's it I've given you a year and now your dream is going to be fulfilled and sure enough it was all of a sudden he went out and he was living among the animals he was eating grass like cattle the Bible says that his hair grew on his body so long that it looked like feathers on an eagle and his his nails his fingernails grew so long they looked like the nails of a bird of an eagle and and he was eating grass he was living among the animals and the dew collected on his body over seven years he did this seven years he wasn't Humble before the Lord. Hmm. And that's where we pick up this scripture in verse 33. 
Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of a bird. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is him speaking, he raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Whoa. Do you remember what the prodigal son, what it said about him? And he came to his senses. And his sanity was restored. He came to his senses. And then I praised the Most High God. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne. I became even greater than before. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Listen to this last part. And those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. There it is. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. Humility. If the king's going to take a public stand, it needs to be a stand that is humble. Humility before the Lord. So you say, that's a great story, Pastor Fred. That, 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 that's really good. Now, what do I do with that? Well, here are three things you need to do with that. There are three things you need to learn, three lessons you need to have, and the first one is simple. God detests pride and arrogance. Did you know it in the Proverbs, the sixth chapter, it tells us that very thing? Let's go to that passage. There are six things that God hates. Pay attention now. There are six things that God hates, seven that are detestable to him. Here we go. Haughty eyes, there it is. Pride and arrogance, haughtiness. That's number one on the list. God says, I hate that. I hate it when you're prideful and arrogant. I hate it when you're haughty with your eyes. I hate it when you think you're the only thing going. That's number one on God's list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. He hates all that. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. He hates that. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Hmm. Dr. Butts, we've seen some of those, haven't we? God hates all that. He detests that. He detests pride and arrogance and all those other evil things that go with it. But pride and arrogance right at the top, right? Haughtiness. Let me ask you a question today. Do you think you're God's gift to math? God's gift to science? God's gift to engineering? God's gift to women? God's gift to men. See, if you think that, then you're full of pride. If you think you are God's gift to the education system, if you think you're God's gift to the preaching ministry, if you think any of those things, then pride and arrogance are resting in you. That's not a good place to be. I have to ask you this question, are you reflecting Satan? That's one of the things we need to talk about. Are you a reflection of Satan in this world? 
Because you see, Satan, that's what got him in trouble in heaven. In Isaiah, the 14th chapter, beginning in verse 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star. That's Satan. That's him, morning star. Son of the dawn, you've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. Goes on to 14. I'm going to be on the utmost heights of the mount Zaphon. I, 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 I. And God threw Satan out of heaven, and one-third of the angels that worshipped Satan went with him, and now those his demons. You can check that out or come to my class when I teach on elect and evil angels. One-third of the angels followed Satan out of heaven, and now they roam the earth and the under-earth to make sure that we are struggling as well. So are you reflecting Satan to your culture, to your community? By allowing pride and arrogance to be a part of who you are? You know, that's the one thing Satan even tried to get Jesus on. In the wilderness, Matthew 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted, you remember that? And Satan got, tried to get him, verses 8, 9, 10, in Matthew 4, to exert pride. And Jesus said, not happening. I'm not going to do that. Or the other question is, are you a reflection of Jesus? Now, the reason I ask that is because in Scripture, in Philippians, the second chapter, we find this said about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used or be held on to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hmm. Is that your reflection to the culture today? Is that your reflection to the world around you? That you are going to humble yourself before the Lord. You're going to look like Jesus and you're going to reflect him to those around you. Hmm. I read a story about a very rich businessman, Christian, who heard that a Bible college, a Christian college, was struggling financially. And so he went to make a visit. And he arrived on campus, and he pulled up, and he parked his car, and he saw an older guy over in coveralls painting on a building. And so he walked over and said, hey, where can I find the president of the college? And the older gentleman said, well, I know this. His office is inside that building right over there. When you go in the front door, look to your left. There's his office door, and he'll be there. I know he'll be there at noon. So the businessman walked around campus, got a good look at it. Then at noon, by noon, he walked through that open door. He went in, knocked on the office door of the president. And when the door opened, to his surprise, it was the same guy who'd been painting the wall in coveralls. And he said, but you're the... And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm the president, but that wall needed painting. And they had lunch, and they talked about the college, and they talked about the college needs... And two days later, in the mail, that college received a check for $50,000 with a note saying, impressed with the school, more impressed with the humility of your president. You see, God hates, he detests pride and arrogance, but he loves a humble spirit. That's the first lesson you got to learn from this chapter. Here's number two. 
Second lesson, God wants us to turn away from sin. God wants us to get away from sin. He wants us to turn away from those things that can keep us separated from Him. He wants us to get away from the sin in our lives. Now, did you notice in the story that He gave King Nebuchadnezzar a whole year (laughs) to do that? Why? Why would God give that king a whole year when the dream had been interpreted? Well, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us why. You can see that on the screen. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness instead he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance yeah god's not slow he's just being patient he's waiting for you to clue in he's waiting for you to understand what needs to happen now over in proverbs 29 and verse 23 we find this pride brings a person low but the lowly in spirit the humble they gain honor now you know the translation the older translation of that is pride goes before the fall that's the old king james translation so if you're full of pride you're going to fall period Somewhere along the line, you're going to mess up. Somewhere along the line, you're going to sin. Somewhere along the line, you're going to get caught up in something, and you're not going to do very well, and you're going to wonder why, and this is why. Because pride goes before the fall. But when you humble yourself before the Lord, and you seek to do what He wants you to do, then you'll be lifted up. You'll find a place of honor in the sight of God. Now, I know, like King Nebuchadnezzar, sometimes we look at our lives and we say, you know, everything's going pretty good right now. I mean, we're cruising right through this, and things are really good, and things seem good, and everybody's happy, and, and, you know, and that kind of thing. And and, and, and you're just kind of moving through life and thinking, this is not bad, this is not bad at all. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 this, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful, because that's when you're going to fall. Just when you think things are going well, just when you think things are where they should be, just when you think it couldn't be any better, that's when you're going to fall. Why? Because Satan loves it when you get overconfident in what you are doing in your life. Now, I'll remind you, in verse 13, he says, God's always going to give you a way to escape, so I want you to make sure you understand that as well. But God wants you to get away from your sin and put yourself in front of him and allow him to take care of you. And if you don't, he will. If you don't humble yourself, he will humble you. That's lesson number two. But here's number three. Here's number three. God will respond to our call for help. Now, did you notice that after the seven years of the king being out and living with the animals and growing his nails long, can you imagine your your fingernails being as long as the claws on a bird's? Ah, that just, boy, could you scratch a chalkboard, though, you know? that, That makes my teeth hurt right now, you know? Can you imagine being like that, doing seven years of that? But what happened? Finally, finally, his sanity came back. He came to his senses. He realized what was going on, and he acknowledged God, and he gave God the glory and said, I'm not the one, but he's the one. And all of a sudden, things began to work out. God wants you to sincerely and desperately leave the life of sin 
and put yourself humbly before Him. And He'll help you do that. He'll give you the ability to do that. Now, you can trust in other things. You know, for example, you, you, can, you can put your trust in you, and you're going to get what you can do. Or you can put your trust in others, and you're going to get what others can do. You can put your trust in money, and you're going to get what money can do. Or you can put your trust in God, and then you're going to get what God can do. I think that's the best place to be. When we sincerely seek His help, when we call upon His name, He wants to help us. Most familiar scripture ever, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But notice verses 17 and 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And whoever believes in Him and Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In Acts 2.38 it says, Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus, and you will receive two things, forgiveness of your sins and an indwelling gift of God's Holy Spirit. In Romans, the 10th chapter, it says, when you call upon His name, you will be saved. You see, my friends, we've got we to get to a place where those scriptures make sense to us that we've got to call upon God. We can't just sit there and say, well, He knows, He knows, and so He'll take care of it. No, you need to call upon His name. You need to ask God for help. And that's when God will help you. So get rid of the pride and the arrogance. Move away from the sin that's detracting you from God and call on Him for His help. And He will come and help you. Bob Russell, the retired senior minister from Southeast Christian Church, wrote this, God doesn't save the self-sufficient. He saves the humble. And He doesn't use superstars. He uses servants. People who have placed themselves in the hands of the Lord and asked God to help them. So, if I was going to cap this off, I would just cap it off by saying you need to pay attention to these scriptures, but pay attention to James, the fourth chapter, and verse 10, because it says there that when you humble yourselves before the Lord in due time, He will lift you up. <laughs> I think that's where we all want to be, right? In God's hands, with Him lifting us and moving us through life. So what's blocking your way from being humble before the Lord? Is pride standing in your way? You know, that's most often the case for men, not necessarily ladies. Men have a tendency to say that, well, religion, that's just, you know, Christianity, that's for women and children, you know? If you ever have a chance to stand face-to-face, toe-to-toe with Jesus himself, you'll be facing the most manly man you've ever met. No one else could have stayed on that cross. No one else could have looked out and said, my Father in heaven, 
Please forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He was a man. Christianity is for everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. Will you do that today? Will you call upon his name? Will you get rid of your pride and arrogance? Will you take a public stand by humbling yourself before the Lord and allowing him to lift you up? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And while we sing, you can have the opportunity to come and pray on the steps, meet with a counselor, make a decision for Christ. Whatever you need to do, do that today. Our Father in heaven, Father, today we want to come to you and, and acknowledge the fact, Father, that, that this story, the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, sadly reminds us of ourselves. But sometimes we, we get to thinking too much of ourselves. And our pride and our arrogance cause us to sin. And so God, today I'm praying that you will allow us to humble ourselves before you. That you'll allow us to bow down and worship you and give you a rightful place in our lives. And Father, we pray that in all this, whatever decision we need to make, that we will lift you up and let others see you in us. So God, work with us. And as we sing, May we make decisions that will honor you. We just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Why don't you stand? Why don't you sing with us? Why don't you make a decision for Christ today? Put yourself in a humble spot and let him lift you up. Come to him. Allow him to get rid of your pride and your arrogance. And ask him for help. Do that today.